Uh, we are in the book of Genesis, and that's the first book of the Bible on your, on your app. Just Google Genesis, and um, we're a church that loves to have you following along in the Bible with us. So uh, if you have a Bible or an app, it's on page two or three of a Bible that's near you. Probably have made it to page three by now. So you can find that in a black Bible uh, in a seat back in front of you probably. So um, these last few verses of Genesis, these last four verses, chapter three, verses uh, 20 through 24, are important enough and large enough to sort of stand on their own as they deal with Adam and Eve's mankind's being expelled from the Garden of Eden. And a lot of times we look at a passage like this and think, wow, that's kind of mean of God. He made this beautiful place for them. They messed up and he gives them the boot. Well, I pray that you'll see even in God's uh, judgment, even in God's discipline, his grace is larger than life as we look at God's word today, right? They, they rejected not only the garden, but they rejected him. They rejected God. They rejected God's uh, loving leadership in their life. And, and, and no longer could they stay and walk with him in the cool of the day. What, what the Bible kind of describes as this everyday experience uh, walking with or fellowshipping with God. And so we see today an aspect of God's love that we often don't freely celebrate, right? We don't frequently talk about or sometimes even sing about God's judgment and God's wrath and throw up our hands and be like, yes, I love God's judgment. I love his wrath. Don't you? Yes, I love it. Well, when we do, we rightly do so talking about it being poured out on Jesus, right? Because we stand before the Lord naked and ashamed, but in Christ, we're completely clothed, not bearing the shame of our own guilt, but we stand robed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so that's that's our message that we proclaim here at Oak Grove Church, and so we pray that that resonates with your heart, right? Um, I want to ask you to consider your week. We have been learning a lot about temptation in the last several weeks in the book of Genesis chapter 3. And I want to ask you, as we've been talking about temptation in the last several weeks, have you seen a correlation in your own life? Like, have you recognized that there are some similarities that Adam and Eve have that you have as well? And just sort of seeing them at face value. Are you recognizing areas of your heart, your, your, your inner man, the desires, the seat of, the, seat of affections um, that, that sort of lead your decision making? Are you recognizing that, that you desire some aspect of temporary treasures in this life more than you desire walking with God? More than you desire fellowship with God? More than you desire a pursuit of holiness. Remember that Satan tempts uh, Adam and Eve through their desires, right? Where you see your temptation, friends, immediately recognize that God is revealing desire in your heart, right? Satan's, he, he's, remember, he's one of the craftiest animals that, that was made. And he, he, he's not going to tempt you with something you really don't want. He's not going to tempt you with something that's really not... It wouldn't be tempting to you, in fact. And so he's, he's wanting you to see something that would be desirable, right? It's, it's not just when we go fishing. We don't just uh, bl blindly throw a hook in the water. We bait the hook. And Satan bakes the hook in our own lives, right? We desire what we see as, as beneficial or delightful or favorable. We, we, we love things that seem pleasant to the eyes or 
whatever is going to make a person happy. It's, it's fulfilling to us. It seems like it's going to meet a desire, right? The problem is not that we desire things. The problem is that we desire things more than we desire God. That's where things get out of kilter. Well, how do I know if I desire it more than God? Well, if you're willing to sin to get it, if you're willing to sin to avoid it, that's a dead giveaway for you. If you're willing to explain away your actions in order to attain it or in order to avoid it, don't just think of things. Think of safety and security. Think of avoiding a responsibility. Right? There are sins that we commit and sins that we that become sin because we omit what we know we ought to do. Sins of commission, sins of omission, right? And so Eve, Eve chooses her earthly desire, as does Adam, as he desires to, desires to please Eve more than he desires to serve God, to obey God in that moment. And so Adam's desire, loyal obedience to Eve rather than God proves to be mankind's downfall proves to be our downfall, right? Oh, I pray that that's something that we would acknowledge, um, those desires. Just like Adam and Eve, there's sometimes fear in acknowledging it. And so we, we pull in Adam and Eve when we run and we hide, right? We're walking with God, so to speak, Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. They sin, they know it, they hide. Why? Because they're ashamed. They're ashamed to stand before a holy God that they have just outright disobeyed. But the Lord pursues us and just as Adam and Eve could have gone to the Lord and just admitted it. You know, why are you hiding? Well, because I ate it from the tree. Why are you hiding? Because I disobeyed you. I sinned. So the Lord pursues them. The Lord opens up or examines their heart. And in the very same way, he does the same for us. So have you noticed this week, in your actions throughout the week, have you noticed desires you're choosing over a life of commitment to the Lord. I don't ask you the question to make you feel real guilty right now. I ask you the question because the loving thing to do is help us all see that we still wrestle with the same uh, Adamic and uh, Eve kind of desires. And yet when it's brought to our attention, at that point we have another choice. Am I going to acknowledge it or am I going to hide behind a fig leaf? Am I going to clothe myself with excuse making or blame shifting? Am I going to blame my childhood experience or am I going to downplay the importance of what the spirit is loving, lovingly convicting us of? How do you respond? How have you noticed yourself responding to those things even this week? We learn that when we respond in the right way, as Jesus invites us to come to him, it's actually a beautiful and a wonderful thing. It's one of the first ways that we must worship God in coming to Christ is by humbly acknowledging our own sin. That's simply to agree with God. It's not groveling. Uh, although when we're convicted, we feel different kind of levels of, of, of guilt and conviction. It affects us differently, but it's not groveling. You don't have to grovel and beg before God. You come before God and you say, Lord, I've blown it. You might say for the very first time, even right now, I've never heard this gospel before. I've just heard I have to be good. I have to go to church. I have to change my behavior. I have to look better to others. I've got to get in with the right you know, steps of things. Sit down at the right time. Get up at the right time. Talk to the right people. It's all about connections after all. 
Well, that's true, but it's all about a connection with one, and his name is Jesus. And he invites us to come, and rather than you know, kicking against the goes, we, we come and we say, Lord, thank you for loving me, despite myself. And that is actually what brings glory to God. It shows a spotlight on his kindness. It shows the spotlight on, on his love. And so in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God cursed Satan and God cursed the ground. God brought consequences to Adam and Eve. And here he shows us something else of his perfect love. He shows us something else of his perfect love. So read with me, if you will, Genesis 3, 20 through 24. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. And then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. And now, lest he reach out his hand and he take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help this morning as we dive into these verses. Would you give us your wisdom and understanding? Um, would, you, would you allow the scales of blindness, spiritual blindness, to fall off of our eyes and, uh, and lift the veil so that we might see clearly into the wonderful light of your glorious grace? Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we saw last week, remember that, that really kind of weird, uh, that weird word, that weird word, right? The proto, uh, right? The first gospel, right? The first, uh, hint of evangelism, the first hint that God would send his son in the person of Jesus, who would come through the seed of Eve to be a redeemer for us, right? Um, he showed us a pattern through which to view everything in life. We're always looking forward to the hope that comes through Jesus, our Redeemer. And our main idea this morning, even through God's judgment, his costly grace saves us from sin's ultimate consequences, even through judgment. There's a wonderful book written by James Hamilton called God's Glory Through Salvation in Judgment. And so as we think about the pain and relational difficulty, um, this conquering seed will come, nonetheless, through the, through the seed of Eve, right? Salvation comes through judgment. And so Eve's name, Eve's name gives a ray of hope. Eve's name means, uh, carries the idea of life giver or life giving. And so even in Adam's naming of Eve, there's a lot here that we don't understand. So we have to be careful how, how firmly we say things that are not in the text. So I just want to be clear there. But there are some inferences that, um, that I think are pretty clear, right? So in a, in a sense, Adam and Eve had accepted their lot in this fallen world. They knew they had sinned at this point. They knew that God was, had cursed the ground. Life was going to be harder. Work was going to go from uh, joyfully and easily, we assume, tending and keeping the garden. Uh, the, the joy of giving birth for Eve... It's going to be much more difficult now. So there's, there are curses and there are consequences that God gives to Adam and Eve and to the serpent, right? They've, they've accepted this position and uh, really it kind of goes without saying this is the first confrontation, obviously, because the first people of 
confrontation of sin here with humans. Adam and Eve receive it pretty well, it seems. Better than Cain does, as we'll see next week. We look at the story of Cain and Abel. It's a wonderful Mother's Day passage, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, Adam and Eve accept God's consequences. They accept from everything we can see uh, the judgment that God is bringing on them. But I want you to think about how Eve's name, right? Eve calls, up to this point, she's woman. She's woman, right? Don't hear all of the negative overtones that come with somebody saying, if I walked up to somebody here at church this morning and greeted and I just said, hey, woman. I mean, I just don't think that's going to go over super well. (laughs) You're like, I know it's not. But she was taken from man, and so God, so Adam called her woman. Well, here God names her Eve. She will be the mother of all future living. Right? What a blessing there. Even in that, they're, they're being judged. Maybe at this point they already knew that they were going to be booted from the Garden of Eden. Maybe they hadn't at that point. But there was some level of faith. There was some level of array of hope looking forward to the future. Right? God, God cursed the ground. He cursed the serpent. He's disciplining us, and we know that in order for there to be a redeemer, there's going to be a whole lot of life that's going to happen between now and then. There's some level of we're still going to have life, and in some way, we're still going to have a Savior. And in that, there is hope. You may be here this morning, in fact, and not even think that there's a ray of hope, a possibility of hope. You may think, I I realize just how bad it is in my own life. I realize all the sin that I'm hiding in my own heart, and I would just say, friend, there is is hope because it is never too late for you to repent of your sins and come to Jesus for salvation. So do that today if you haven't. Adam's name still bears the the idea of dying and death. You're taken from ground. You're going to return to ground. But there's hope. There's joy because you know, she's the mother of all the living. Pastor Stephen Cole says, after the morbid, morbid, morbid words of verse 19, uh, you'd expect something like, now Adam called his wife's name the Grim Reaper because she was the mother of all the dying. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Right? And even more strange, she hasn't had any children yet, and she's called the mother of all the living. So Adam's na- naming of Eve is a response in faith. Remember, faith for coming to the Lord never needs to be grandiose. God is not after grandiose faith. He's after a little bit of faith in the right person, namely Jesus, right? Salvation from Old Testament to New Testament has always been by faith in God's promise. When God makes a promise, it will come true. You can bank your life on it. In fact, you must bank your life on God's promises and they will come true. This is faith, right? And so we're seeing these major movements in this grand narrative of scripture here. Sometimes we call it the meta narrative. We talk about early on the creation and there's really four main movements. People have have divided it up more than that or, or done it in three movements, but creation fall where we are right now, the fall when Adam and Eve sinned and redemption and restoration or consummation. Uh, at the end, um, at the end of time, right? So even through God's judgment, His costly grace saves us from sin's ultimate 
consequences. Now, verse 21 may be one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. God covers us through costly grace. We love talking about grace, don't we? We love being the recipients of God's grace, don't we? God's kindness toward us. Often we celebrate, we talk about grace so much so that we can kind of uh, lose the sense of everything that's conveyed in the meaning of grace, right? Even when we say we talk about mercy and grace, it's really two things that that uh, two sides of the same coin. We often casually talk about grace as receiving what we don't deserve and mercy being not receiving what we do deserve, right? I deserve, Pastor Matt deserves a life in hell for sinful thoughts that have come into my mind today, May 1st, 2022. I don't deserve to be preaching. This is an incredible gift from God. God has not given me what I do deserve, and he has given me everything that I don't deserve because it all fell to Jesus. So think about this. There's Adam and Eve standing in the garden. They've just gone through all of this with the Lord. They've got their their fig leaves on, which, by the way, they're pretty big leaves. They're pretty sturdy leaves, kind of. Well, anyway, I can't go on too much about uh, fig leaves. I don't know that much about them, but it's not like what you would go to the go to the the, uh, store and say, you know, that looks really comfy. I think I want to wear that for a while, right? No, they, they, they found what they could and they covered themselves out of shame. They probably felt they, they did still feel shame even in their covering. So they are, there they are some level of faith, some level of looking forward to the future. Maybe they even looked on quizzically, sort of like confused as God calls a couple of animals toward him. And as God took those animals, maybe then they began to realize there's something else big happening here. In order for Adam and Eve to be clothed, a sacrifice had to be made. It wasn't just skin and fur growing on a tree. It was on an animal. Grace is costly. We love it as the beneficiaries, but it is costly. Think about your own life for a minute. If you are are in a, someone has hurt you badly, maybe you've had conversation about it, maybe you haven't. And you know that, that God is calling you to forgive, or at least uh, forgiveness and reconciliation is kind of a two-part thing, and we don't have time for that today, but to say before the Lord, Lord, I've forgiven them in my heart. I hold nothing against them. I know we're not reconciled yet, but God, I forgive them. For you to begin to live in relationship with people that have hurt you deeply is costly. You, you come back to church and you, oh, now we got this awkward moment. We're both within the same hundred square feet and they've hurt me. And I, I know I've hurt other people. I, I don't want to take it out on them, but we're, we haven't reconciled yet. But what does this look like? Or maybe you have reconciled, but the wound remains. 
There's some level of healing because reconciliation has taken place, but, but the wound remains. And, and we know maybe that if I'm going to forgive someone, it means I'm not going to, I'm going to live toward them as if that had never happened. Now, that doesn't mean forgive and forget. I just want to tell you, uh, even for the sake of the gospel, forgive and forget, it's not a biblical concept. It's a terrible concept. And forgiving so that you can be healthy in life, that can be very selfish and man-centered as well. But to live in such a way as though it had not happened. That means taking that payback you want. If I could just say, you know what it is. I don't have to even make up a scenario here. You know what I'm talking about. If I could just tell them how they really hurt me or who else doesn't like them. If I could just... See, forgiveness is costly, isn't it? We're not even talking about shedding your own blood. We're just talking about not living for payback. Grace, grace is costly. It costs you pain that only Jesus can heal. To live in such a way where you no longer require or demand payback, whether it's hurt feelings, anger, bitterness, other kinds of emotions, we lay those aside And you may lay them aside day after day after day after day. And I'm not only talking about a wrong perception of hurt. I'm saying they legitimately wronged you. And every day you have to say, I'm not living for payback. I'm living in freedom in Jesus. God's paid their penalty and he's paid mine. I do not need payback. I do not need payback. I don't need to stay 50 feet away from them. Or I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. No, I'm going to walk in Christ. I'm going to lay those emotions aside. They keep kind of bouncing back up and you're trying to push them down again. Give it over to the Lord again. It's costly. So maybe they stood there looking on. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what took place here. As God took a couple of animals, brought them to himself. And for the first time, they saw the contrast of red and white, maybe. Blood dripping from a freshly slain animal. That would then be cleaned and prepared as a covering. And the Lord said, maybe something to the effect of, give me those fig leaves. Give over the fig leaves. I have new clothes for you. They're going to cover you better and they're going to last a lot longer. Friends, there are two religions, two ways of living. Fig leaf religion or living according to the perfect provision through the shedding of blood. Leviticus, or I'm sorry, Hebrews tells us Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So I want to ask, when I asked you earlier, how did your week go? As you think back on your week, do do, do you think back on temptations where you are, through your words, through your life decisions, through your explaining things away or accepting the responsibility of it and going to the Lord with it, 
not receiving condemnation, are you living a fig leaf life? Or a life that says, I am covered through the shedding of blood, having been purified through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, the point is that we not live in shame. The more we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, in explaining things away, you're living in some kind of shame or just blatant arrogance. Usually, some kind of shame. And you know, because that fig leaf lifestyle is not comfortable. It doesn't fit well. It moves around uncomfortably. It's, it's chafing in your lifestyle. To your emotions, to your relationships. And the Lord all along is saying, give me your fig leaf. I have new covering for you. As we think about the life given for our forgiveness of sins to be possible. It's okay. It's right even to be sad for a bit. To think about the grief that Jesus must have gone through. But in a, in a spiritual sense, we're looking at the reality that it was God's intent the whole time. And so we do celebrate at Good Friday and we, we remember Jesus' death and burial. And it's good to pause there at times, but not, not often for too long. Not often in a, in a, um, where you're getting stuck in that sadness of it even. But enough to bring an awareness that the grace you walk in today, if in fact you are a child of God, by repenting of your sins and turning to him, That, that grief you experience for that gives way to joy. And that's why we celebrate loudly as we sing songs about the death and burial and re- triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it is the greatest joy. And even Jesus in the pain endured, the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him. God's costly grace is intended to to be turned into a life of joy as we who have been saved or clothed in his righteousness use our lives to live in such a way that continually points out the tender care of the sovereign God of the universe, the loving God of the universe, the holy God of the universe who paid a costly price that we might exchange our fig leaves for garments of skin. For garments of righteousness. Every covering we try to find is only representative of fig leaf covering. And friends, I want to say I see people do it all the time, but I do it. Trying to explain away why they've made certain decisions, why they don't need to come to Christ. Humble yourself before Almighty God and come to Christ. If fig leave living, I don't care if you've been coming to her church here, and I mean this with all due respect, but if you've been coming to church here for five years, 10 years, 25 years, 65 years, and your fig leaf is coming to church, your fig leaf is explaining why you try to be better than the person next to you, how faithful you've been in serving at church, or how long you've been coming at church to church. 
It's a fig leaf. And before God, you're poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And God says, I sent my son to give his life so that you might have life abundantly. You're stuck in your own box living this life of explaining things away. And God says, just let it go already, would you? Let me give you freedom. Because only God can provide this covering that we ultimately need for our sin. Adam and Eve, they didn't do anything to atone for it. They didn't do anything to work for it. They didn't do anything to, to over, uh, overcome the negative score of their sin. They stood there and watched. And God did it all. Even through God's judgment, God's costly grace saves us from ultimate consequences. And these last two verses are three verses, verses 22 through 24. You know, people often call it paradise lost. God's judgment brings release. Now, this is the part that may surprise you a little bit. Then the Lord God said, verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, it's like you're waiting for the rest of the sentence here. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, right? He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every which way to guard the tree of life. Have you ever been in a discussion someone with somebody, and, well, some might call it an argument, and, I mean, you just know that they're wrong. I'm smirking because I know what my wife is thinking about right now. And I'm not thinking about that. Just so you know, I should have given you a heads up. <laughs> you know they're wrong. And you're trying to explain it to them. You're like, I don't know how many ways I can explain this to you. I mean, I've thought of every illustration or analogy. I've tried to say it in different words. And they're just not going to agree with you, right? I mean, you can't move forward in that relationship. You, you, all you want to do is teach them a lesson. And I don't mean like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I mean, you want to help them understand something in life, right? Can't even look at her right now. <laughs> our, our life is very normal too, trust me. You just want to help them understand something in life, but they just will not get to the place where they can listen to you. And I don't mean like in your arrogance. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying sometimes God has given us a role to teach somebody something, right? And so we want to explain it. They're just arguing and arguing. No, I didn't. It's your fault and you're not seeing it right. That sky is purple. It's not blue. I mean, it's just like you have to come to a point of agreement before life can go on. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to spend that time explaining it away. Adam and Eve now knew good and evil, and they couldn't live in that state forever. Repentance is a, is a confession to the Lord, an acknowledgement and an agreement with God that God's perfect understanding of right 
and wrong of good and evil is the perfectly right decision every time. And how often do we spend our life trying to explain it away? The Lord's just like, just... Let me teach you something. Until we come to that place, we will never be humble and learn from God. Now Adam and Eve had the knowledge of good and evil sinfully. In other words, they would not be able to rightly understand, rightly appropriate how to live with that knowledge. And now we see it all throughout the world, all throughout history. We cannot rightly understand and perfectly in every situation for everyone on the planet, understand proper application of good and evil. And in removing them from the Garden of Eden, God himself says, I'm taking them away so that they can't eat of the tree of life, and live forever. It would not be good for Adam and Eve to live with this wrong knowledge of good and evil in the garden forever. There would be no opportunity for redemption there. And so he removes them from the garden. I love 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. And I, have to, I printed it in my notes so I don't keep reading. Because it goes all the way through verse 11 and the whole thing is beautiful. Peter says, his divine power has granted to us, that's a gift, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, hang on to that word knowledge, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Adam and Eve knew that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was there. But once they ate of the forbidden fruit, now they knew good and evil. In other words, you can understand things about God. You may live your life and say, oh, I I believe in God. I know things about God. But the question is, do you know God? I don't mean perfectly. I mean experientially, right? It's a, it's a word that can be used in two ways. You can know that God will fill in the blank of many things that the Bible tells us. But until you experience suffering, you don't know the peace of God that will guard you. You don't experientially understand that whatever you face, God, through his promises in the New Testament, in the context of God's people, the body of Christ, will care for you, care for you, meet your needs, help you see that even in the deepest depths of human suffering, we as believers have an eternity of glory to look forward to before you suffer before you struggle and i'm not minimizing struggling what i'm saying is that the the the, the, the more you suffer the, the the bigger the more drastic your suffering is you will gain a greater appreciation for the magnitude of eternal glory of christ eternal glory in heaven nothing compares
and you can know about it. But the Lord brings us into, leads us into, brings circumstances in this life in order to help us know it. So your friends say, well, how are you joyful in the midst of all this stuff? You know, I have days that I'm not. I mean, I don't want to be fake with you. I have days where I, I just am not. And I have days when I question the Lord. But you know, I know God's peace. I used to know about God's peace. Now I, I know God's peace. Donald Barnhouse describes it like this. How often is it necessary? It is necessary for God to drive us out of an apparent good. Living in the Garden of Eden, that would have been pretty good. Working and keeping the garden, that would have been pretty good. Paradise. To drive us out of an apparent good to bring us to the place of real good. The Lord drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden so they could experience redemption. So that they could experience life with God, even in all of the craziness that happens in this life. Once sin had entered to live forever like that, it literally would have been like a hell on earth. Living separate from the loving presence of God forever and ever, that'd be terrible. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. And so God protects them. Hear this. God drives Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and he protects them from his holy presence, which cannot casually be around sin. And so he he sets up this, uh, the cherubim and this flaming sword. Everything about it says... You're excluded, sinner. You're excluded, sinner. You're excluded, sinner. You're excluded, sinner. You cannot come back to walking in fellowship with God in this way. They're covered. They're covered from the ultimate consequences of their own sin. And they're protected from God's holiness. you think about the cherubim, uh, I don't have time to go into it very long today, but I just want to mention this, this awesome throne bearing characters. They're seen, they're pictured in Ezekiel and elsewhere. They're, they're symbolic guardians around the Holy of Holies. If you remember from the old Testament, right? They, they guard the Holy of Holies. In fact, they're, they're sewn very artistically, very perfectly into the, the veil that separated the Holy place from the Holy of Holies. Are these little little cherubim all, all around? And you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two. The place that the cherubim would say, no, you can't come in here. You can't. You must purify yourself in every single way. They would tie a, a rope with a bell around their ankle so that if somebody went into the Holy of Holies without proper cleansing, without proper proper uh, washing and, and, and rituals that the Lord gave them, which, did, which didn't save them, but was a picture of God's holiness, that they would be, they would die in God's presence. And at the death of Jesus Christ, this veil was torn in two. The way to God was now more clearly than ever through the death of Jesus. And I will tell you the resurrection is a picture of God's power for us, but the moment Jesus died on the cross, every ounce of wrath that needed to be paid for sin was paid. 
Well, did Jesus descend into hell as one of the creeds tells us? You know, that if he did, it was not for the purpose of more wrath being poured out on him. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus at the cross, fully and completely. And according to God's promise, he died. And our sin debt was paid because he was holy. Just as it was pictured all the way back in the garden when God called these couple animals to him and maybe him for the first time, Adam and Eve saw this red rolling down white. God's grace is wonderful and it is costly. And that is a motivator for us, friends, to strive to live in a way that doesn't pay God back. Boy, that'd be just like I know I've got this wonderful clothing right now. I think I'll, I think I'll touch it off with a, a little taste of fig leaves on the outside again. No. Just live in praise to God. The more we acknowledge our sin, the more we glorify God. The more we strive to live holy lives, the more we glorify God. We trip and we fall on our face. We get up. We say, God, hold me, carry me, take me. Thank you that you have covered me fully and completely in Christ. Communion reminds us of this, which is why we do this frequently. And so come, if you are in the clothing of Jesus, in the covering of Jesus, trusting in his perfect life and his sacrificial death at the cross to pay every aspect of the penalty for your sin. That's what you believe. Come, eat with us, drink with us. We have two stations up front, three. One is a gluten-free station over here, and then we have two in the back. You can stay at your seat and pray if you'd like. You can stand up and come right away. If there's something, right? Remember, we were talking all day today about two lives that you want to live. If you want to live a fig leaf life or a life that's covered in the atonement of Jesus Christ, but you still find yourself trying to pull out those fig leaves, maybe you have something you need to make right with a brother or sister in here. I've heard stories of several people in the last six or eight months that have, have begun a process of reconciliation through a conversation during communion. Maybe there's somebody who's been a great impact in your life and you want to just encourage them. Not prop them up, but encourage them with the gift of God's grace that they've been in your life. All of these kinds of things are appropriate during this time. If you need prayer, I just want to encourage you to stick up your hand. Just stick up your hand and hold your hand. And church family, see those people. Take the first step and go. Just surround them and pray with them. You don't need to know everything. Just go pray. Just go pray by them. Even through God's judgment in this life, God's grace saves us from ultimate consequences. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we talk about truths that are beyond our capacity to fully understand them, and yet you've given us to them, given them to us to strive to understand. You've called us to know the unknowable. And so in all of that, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a, a greater understanding of, of the incredible love that you have for sinners. And yet you call us to walk with you in a way that, that declares your primacy in our life. You're first. Help us live that way. Help us in non-judgmental ways. Help one another learn to live increasingly in those ways. Thank you. 
Thank you for Old Testament truths, Old Testament stories that are as real today as they've ever been, as applicable to our lives today as they ever have been. Continue to teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.